Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. When you are pioneering anything or introducing new ideas to the culture, you get criticized. You do? Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear about that? <laughs> I didn't find the one. I found someone I respected and we made it the one. In the sort of longing kind of view of love, people understand each other as if by magic. Nothing in itself is addictive on the one hand. On the other hand, everything could be addictive if there's an emptiness in that person that needs to be filled. I now know that nobody changes until they change their energy. And when you change your energy, you change your life. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations. Because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Here we go. I'm excited to introduce my guest today, Bozma St. John. Bose is the Global Chief Marketing Officer at Netflix, and she has been recognized for her work at Pepsi, Apple, Uber, and Endeavor. She joins me today to chat about her philosophy when it comes to marketing and how moving from Ghana to Colorado Springs during childhood informed the way she helps people make connections today. We discuss the power of storytelling, especially the stories we hold within ourselves, and how data isn't always the answer to everything. We also talk about healing, resilience, and how powerful it is to understand the importance of your singular existence. I can't wait to share this conversation with you. You have a huge newish job. Yes. How long ago since you became chief marketing officer at Netflix? It has been almost 10 months, which is unbelievable to me because, I mean, first of all, to start in the middle of this daggone global pandemic was unbelievable. I was like, why am I even doing that? Because I mean, who really does that? Like, why, why would you take on a big new job in the middle of this thing? Working from home. Working from home, being a mom. And how old is your daughter? Oh, she'll be 12 very soon at the end of May. My and daughter turned 17 today, so I- She turned 17. I'm wistful. Oh, I know. Oh God, exactly. Oh my gosh, I looked at her the other day. And you know, you just catch them sometimes, right? In a moment, and you're just like, God, where did this person come from? You know, like a, like a whole person, not the toddler, not the, you know, little person who was asking you all the questions, even though she still asked me a ton of questions. But you know, it's not that. It's no. something wholly different. They're, they're conversing with you and revealing... Oh who they are they're not looking to you for answers in the same way they're telling you oh this is me and this is what i think and yeah yeah 
exactly. It's just, it's unbelievable. So, you know, and for us, it's been quite a journey because I don't think I've been home, I mean, for sure, not for a year straight ever in her entire life. And I would venture to say after like maternity leave, I probably wasn't home a consistent two months straight without ever going anywhere. So what company were you- And crazy. Right. What company were you at when you had her? Because you worked in incredible places, Pepsi and Apple and Uber and then Endeavor. I mean, it's- (laughs) You were at Pepsi when you had her. Yes, I was at Pepsi when I had her. And- Were you in, where were you living? I was living in New York, but it was just, you know, it's like, I was so busy and so like, you know, I had just a lot going on. And unfortunately I, I had really traumatic experiences with pregnancy. And so a daughter I'd had right before Lael unfortunately died because she was born too early. I had preeclampsia and I got pregnant with Lael like three months after she passed away. Gosh, before you even... Probably oh, it was just chance. like, you know, I mean, a lot of therapy through that. Did you feel that you had even begun to process through that? No, by the, no. no, no. I mean, I'm so much more aware now, right? Think yes. when you're in the moment, you're just not aware. I thought I, mean, I thought I was ready. And when you're at that age, ah, you're yeah. not as aware. And then also you just think you can white knuckle through anything because you're yeah. a woman who's an achieving woman, yes. right? Yes, achieving, put my mind to it and I can do it. And it was a really, it was a really tough experience, you know? So yeah, having her in that time was just also really difficult because I was very obsessed with her and her health, you know? And like that fear, like that, I think a lot of mothers do it, but I I think I was definitely a little over obsessive, you know, with like always go over to the crib and like watch her chest rise and fall, make sure she was breathing. You know, like all of that obsessiveness, which by the way, I still do. She asked me that the other day, actually. She was like, because I had I said it casually. I think it was like Mother's Day and I'd said it casually to somebody else, you know, that I still go in her room and make sure she's breathing. And she was like, do you really do that? (laughs) And I was like, yeah, I was like, of course I do when you're sleeping. And she was like, that's so weird. I was like, well, come talk to me when you have kids. Okay, don't don't judge me now. Right. And then especially like having lost your husband, which I'm so yes. sorry about. It's just yeah. like the yeah. fragility of life is around you all the time. Of course, yes. I understand completely. Yes. yes. And so, yeah, I think at least now I feel like it's a healthy obsession. Okay, good. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not so overwhelmed by it that it, it makes me feel like I can't do anything else, you know? And so that's why this whole situation of being at home has also felt really oh gosh i don't even know if i have the word if i can articulate it you know it's like just a jumble of emotion because it's weird being home all of the time you know there are some parts of her that i'm getting to know you know having been here consistently there are parts of me that she's getting to know because i'm here consistently what do you think that she's learned about you that she didn't know before the pandemic maybe she has learned that i'm not always as organized or all-knowing more fallible. Yes, 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 yes. More human. In my quote unquote regular life, everything is so scheduled, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm scheduled. So, you know, obviously going to work, catching a flight, meetings, hell, her basketball games, like everything is so scheduled mm-hmm. that it probably came off to her before that, 
you know, there was just, I mean, there are breaks in the schedule, of course, but I think now, you know, she sees me as like, okay, well, some, some days I'm just like, oh, hell, I don't even know what's going on today. You know, it's like the schedule just go to hell, all, all of it together, <laughs> you know, just throw it all away and we're just going to do something else. So I'm, I'm so fascinated by your career and I have so many questions that I want to ask you about it. I kind of wanted to hear from you, what is your definition of marketing? What are your objectives? What are you trying to do like holistically? What is your thesis statement of like, this is why I'm, this is what it is. And this is why I do it. Yeah. Okay. I think for me, the thesis statement of marketing, like what it is I do is I storytell about things and I connect people to the story. And so every day, regardless of the product, I'm trying to tell the story of the thing and make you feel like you're connected to that thing. And that's what makes something proliferate culture? Yes. Yes. Because you on an individual level feel connected to something. Mm. And it probably feels illogical to you, but it is very much strategically placed by me. (laughs) (laughs) So when people fight about whether or not they love Apple Music or Spotify, or they think Pepsi is better than Coke, or they would rather take an Uber than a Lyft, or they watch Netflix and not Hulu, I am constantly trying to tell you why the thing that I'm working on is better than the other thing every day. And do you have to believe that it's better? Yes. You do? Yes, yes, yes. I feel like lawyers are the same way, you know, like defense attorneys, you have to believe your client. But I feel like some lawyers can, they don't believe their client and they, but they're just really good at being lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That's probably true. And and you know what? We respect that because lawyers are supposed to do that. And if we were ever in that situation, I'd want my lawyer to be like, I don't believe you, but I'm going to have to get you out of this situation and that'd be fine. But yeah, for me, for me, I definitely have to believe it, but it's not um, so much a, you know, belief in like, let's say the efficacy of the thing, you know, like. I'm not a snake's oil like salesman who's like, hey, you know, this thing will cure you of everything that you've ever, you know, had wrong with you. But I do believe in parts of it and I believe in the goodness of it or how it can, you know, serve a purpose in society. But I I personally have to find that. Otherwise I can't do it. Right. You know, so maybe that's maybe it's a different thing for me, but but I do find that this this industry, this job, this career is very personal. Like I don't, I don't see it just as work, you know, and that probably comes from experiences I had in childhood, you know, where I, I know the power of marketing. Mm. I know the power of a story and how it influences people. And so I take it very, very, very seriously. What were some of those stories when you were younger that influenced you like that? So when I was 12, my family moved from Ghana, which is where my parents were originally from, to Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now, we had lived in a lot of places before then, and I was born in Connecticut. But we made like what I would call like our final move as a family to Colorado Springs when I was 12. And I showed up there. It was almost wintertime. I really, I didn't know what was going on. You know, all I showed up with, it was just a bunch of white people. And I was like, who are, like, what the hell kind of? 
And by the way, I had interacted with all kinds of people in my life. So it wasn't like I was necessarily fearful or interested in, in them as different from me. But what struck me was how different they thought I was. Mm. You know, that was what right. was weird to me. I was like, I was like, I don't see you as different, but you see me as different. Like, how wild is that? Wow. And I and I realized very quickly, and I can articulate it so much better now, obviously, than I could then, but mm. I realized very quickly that it was because of the images that they had seen of Africa. They didn't mm. know Africa the way I knew Africa. And what year is this, just for context? 1989. Okay. End of 1989. And so, you know, the... The culture, the American culture had been peppered by images of like Sally Struthers standing in front of images of children with distended bellies and flies on their eyes and telling people that their lives were worth one penny a day. That was what I was battling. And they had pictures of those kids on their fridge. I would go over to their houses for play dates and watching after school specials and there would be an African child and it said one cent across the top of it. That's what I was battling. And so I know, and I could feel it, right? I could feel their pity. And mm. I could feel them thinking I was less than them. Because of that, those stories, those images, they saw it constantly. And you know, it was like, I was sitting in the living room, in their living rooms, watching whatever TV show. And I would just like, my stomach would start to tighten when the commercial break would come on because I knew that one of those commercials would come on. And how, how, could I, how could I battle that? You know, how could I tell them of the richness of the culture? Would they, they wouldn't believe me. They wouldn't believe me that, that people had incredibly beautiful fashion, that weaving cloth originated on the continent. You know, they wouldn't believe that or that like music was born there. The sound of the drums, the bass that they could hear in like pop songs. Paul Abdul didn't make that up. That <laughs> drum beat came from Africa. You know what I mean? Like, why would they believe that? Why would they believe that when they could, when all they saw was pity that these people were worth a cent a day, you know? So, so that, that is the power of storytelling. And for me, it is very personal. So now it's like my, like my current work right now is at Netflix. Like, you know, I, I, I think I've probably said this at every job, but I think this is the work of my life right now, you know, like right now, because it's, it's so, it, it's like to bring the stories forward, to influence people's opinions of other people, to bring them new experiences. Gosh, I mean, what a, what a gift, what a gift. And it's, it's, and it's super interesting to be doing it in this day and age where the power and reach of these streaming platforms is such that the content can really impact the way people are living or the way that people yes. think about things. And the, yes. So how do you bear that responsibility? Yesterday, I did a, um, a town hall you know, for the new employees. It's all virtual, of course. Right. <laughs> and during, during this, I partnered with our chief communications officer, 
Rachel Whetstone, who I, I really adore. Our teams had partnered on some work for the AAPI community and Stop Asian Hate, right? Obviously, because it's a very big societal issue right now. And we feel that our position in culture and in society is to unearth stories that are diverse and inclusive so that you just get a different sense, right? Because it's like, think about the history of time and the stories that have been told about Asians. There are such, you know, stereotypes and so it's like, if we can unearth, like, you know, the diversity of the storytelling, like that, that's a great thing, right? I mean, it'll help people because I feel like part of the reason why we have such fear and, you know, mistrust and misunderstanding is that we just don't know each other's stories. And so the best way to do that is in the comfort of your home, right? where you feel, where you feel completely at ease. And you can watch something and be like, oh, okay, well, that, okay, I see. That experience kind of mirrors mine, you know, in some capacity. Yes. Connecting you, people. you can be confronted almost with an idea that might take you out of your comfort zone of perspective. Yes. But you're not really being confronted, right? This is why I love what I do. Because in December, we did like all of the, you know, like sort of data analysis on, you know, what people are watching, when they're watching it, like all that stuff, right? And we found that it was a like astronomical percentage of people who in 2020 watched content from someplace else that was not native to their home. Really? Meaning that Americans watched more like French content or Brazilian content and Brazilians watched more Korean dramas and Koreans watched more Finnish news. Like it was, it was, it was amazing. It was amazing. And guess what? People hate to read subtitles. Like that is, that is a fact. People don't like it. <laughs> and here they were, you know, trapped at home or couldn't, you know, most of us sheltered at home and watching content from other places. And it, it really did bring me to tears. Wow. You know, because it like 12 year old me, 12 year old me could have so benefited from this. Yes. That kind of exploration and yeah. crossing all kinds yeah. of borders and cultures and, yes. and finding the resonance with everybody just as human beings. Yes. Just as human beings. And so, yeah, I wish, I wish that the kids in 1989 in Colorado Springs would have had titles to watch that would have shown them the beauty and diversity of Africa, that I wouldn't have had to sit and be so nervous when the commercials came on or be afraid when we had a substitute teacher and she had to pronounce my name or oh God, any number or the food my mom passed for me for lunch. <laughs> You know, it's like any of that stuff, like I wouldn't have had to be so nervous about any of that. What would be a typical seventh grade lunch? First of all, let me tell you how this woman did not believe in assimilation. Okay. Zero belief in it at all. So she was not about to pack you a sandwich. Absolutely not. She was like... This is what we do, okay? And it, and it is actually, I do credit her for, for the confidence that I have in who I am, right? Because she was not about that life. She was not like, oh, oh, okay, that's nice that they eat pizza at their house, okay? But that's not what you're eating here. You're going to eat our food here. You're going to speak our language in our house. You're not speaking English, even though my mother speaks five languages. But she was like, no, we're going to speak our native tongue in the house. And when your little friends come over, 
they're, I'm going to speak to them in our native tongue. Because guess what? When you go to their house, their mother speaks to you in English, huh? Yeah, exactly. So when they come here, I'm going to speak to them in our language. And I was just like, what the fuck? Like, how? Like, why? Why can't we? I just don't understand why we can't just have pepperoni pizza. Like, why can't we have that on Friday night when they come here? And she's like, no, they're not going to eat that. And so, yeah, she would pack me, oh, fried fish stew, all of its aroma. You know what I mean? (laughs) Some jollof rice, which I will teach you how to make because jollof is a staple and you have to to know how to make jollof rice. I I will teach you how to make it. And she would pack me soups and, oh gosh, like fried plantain. Yeah. Sometimes with, with beans. I mean, it was just like all like every kind of warm meal. And so I was the kid who would be looking for the lunch lady, you know, to be like, can you warm up my lunch for me, please? <laughs> you know, because I can't eat it cold. <laughs> and I would come back to the table all steaming and like with all of its, you know, smells and aromas and be like, uh, hi, can I sit here? And other people are like eating Doritos. And I was like, oh, well. No Doritos for me. I mean, I can't, I almost can't think of a more different <laughs> two worlds than Ghana and Colorado Springs, no, really. Colorado. Yeah, no. Why, no. why did they, why did they land there? I have asked them that over the years. And you know, it, the, that, <laughs> actually, you know what's, you know what's so funny about that is that, it, I mean, not that I want, want to make everything a lesson, but it is the lesson of immigration. You know, right? Because that's how we all got here. Somebody had a family member or a friend who lived in a particular place and they said, oh, this place is great. You should move your family here. It's safe. There are jobs. You know, it's, you can raise your children and they'll grow up healthy and wonderful. And so, yeah. And so we had like one friend and my, my dad got a job in Colorado Springs. And so we were like, okay, yes, everybody move. Here we go. We're living there. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. Toomey has a soft side. Discover their new Acer bag collection in its pillowy pleats, satin finish, and crescent shape. Acer is the bag to carry for your 9 to 5 and the 5 to 9 plans that follow. Versatility, after all, is Toomey's signature. Shop the full Acer collection on Toomey.com or at a Toomey store near you. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Do you feel that the line that you held that, you know, kept you intact with kind of your roots and who you were while trying to understand other points of view at that very specific tender age helped inform the way that you help other people make these connections? Yes. Oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. Because, you know, that's the most beautiful human truth. You know, which is that like, we all have some connection point. It doesn't matter how different we are culturally, racially, spiritually, sexually, none of it. Like we're, we have connection points. All you need to do is to be open and -hmm. curious, you know, and that's, that's what happened to me at that age. So you're absolutely right. You know, it's like, I, and by the way, I had to do it for survival for sure. But now I do it because it's partly a habit and partly because I do actually believe that this is what connects all of us, right? So mm-hmm. yes, at 12, 13, 14, I, I had to understand what was happening in pop culture that I liked, which connected to something that somebody else liked also, right? So it meant that I had to 
you know, understand what was happening in sports. John Elway was king in Colorado, you know, like with the Broncos, they were winning oh, Super Bowls. Yes, of course. I had to understand music, you know, and, and what was hot on the charts. So yes, I know some Garth Brooks and I know some Paula Abdul and I know some Tupac too. You know what I mean? And I had to understand fashion, right? Okay, I've worn it all. I've had the acid wash jeans and all of the films and all of the TV and all, all of the things. But that's what's so beautiful about pop culture. And I actually kind of feel vindicated right now in this moment in time in marketing because for a long time, people just kind of like they dismissed pop culture as like frivolous, you know, like this thing that not smart people paid attention to, right? Because it was like, no, you've got to know data. You've got to know consumer behavior. And you have to understand, you know, turn of, you know, like product. And no, 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 no. That's, that's actually not the magic. The magic is understanding people. The mm -hmm. magic is understanding what they want and what connects them. Again, back to the connection of things, right? And usually you can bridge that gap in pop culture. That's mm -hmm. really how to do it. And so to me, it's like, yeah, now what had become a survival tool has become my actual work so that yes every day that's that's what i'm doing i'm paying attention to what is happening in culture how things are moving what are people talking about you know what are they interested in and then try to bring that all together because regardless of where we came from or who we are it is the absolute truth that we can find those connection points that make us feel like we are the same and how much of that comes from you perusing whatever channels of culture, the ones you go to, I don't know if it's TikTok or, you know, mm -hmm. like having McKinsey or Bain do oh. a trend report for you or no. No, no, not so much that at all. Because I do believe that, and this is gonna sound so preposterous, but I do believe that we as individuals have so much more knowledge about what will work than any report could ever tell us. I can't believe you're saying that you work at like the most data-driven company on the planet. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I think from a content and marketing and communication standpoint, we're actually not that tech. Really? You know, we, yeah, because the, the folks who are like my colleagues who are in, you know, content, who are choosing what goes on the product are doing so because they're drawn right to stories. And they're they're choosing things that they that they really like. Now, of course, they know that okay, this might work for this audience, and this might work for this audience. And so there are certainly numbers that help us to understand what types of things will work. But at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you really, you really the data won't like let you predict that well. Sometimes you really just gotta trust your own talent, mm -hmm. you know, and understanding what you think will work. And for me and for our marketing team, for sure, I'm like, okay, what about that story is gonna make them excited? And by them, I'm like any group of people, right? The other day, we were launching a film called Zero, a series called Zero. And uh, it's about the Black Italian experience, right? First of its kind. And it was so interesting because we were talking about how to launch it and, you know, like the target audiences and all that. And you would think that perhaps like, we should target Black Italian or Italian, right? Because it's in Italian. And as we've just said, you know, subtitles are tough for people to read. <laughs> Nobody wants to do that. But instead, we decided to use the platform of Strong Black Lead, which was developed to bring what I would call like the whole Black diaspora together, right? Mm -hmm. With similar interests. And it was like 
one of the highest performing campaigns that we've done because we chose to tell it as a broad story and not just a narrow one, right? And that to me are the choices that we can make and no numbers and no data are really gonna tell you that. You know, it's like, do I think a black person in Germany is going to be interested in the black Italian experience? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think they would be very interested. Or, or anyone who has felt like, you know, the immigrant, would they be interested in the black Italian experience? Yeah, I think so. So then it removes race. Right. And it removes country from that too, because anyone from anywhere. And then do I think that people who love Italy would be interested in the black Italian experience? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, then, so then you have more people, you know? So it's like, you've just got to choose the part of the story that you want to make everyone else connect with. And sometimes it's super nuanced and sometimes it's very broad. That's the other downside of data, right? It's really essentially a backwards view into yes. what worked or didn't work. So exactly. the human part, the intuition part has to come with the forward right. view, right? That's right. Exactly. That's exactly it. And that's been, for me, the magic is intuition, knowing mm-hmm. myself, being trusting of myself in order to better understand what other people will want. And that's really the difference. Last year, I had the opportunity to list my Montecito guest house on Airbnb. This was part of a special project that Airbnb spearheaded to build connection and to make the world feel a little less lonely. It was such a pleasure to get to know my Airbnb guests over dinner and share my home with them so that they could rest and recharge on their trip. But typically, the beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Being a host on Airbnb is great for those who travel frequently, have extra space, or own a seasonal home. If you've stayed at an Airbnb, you know the unique experience it offers. And now you can share that same experience with others in addition to earning additional income on the side. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. So when you when you have make an, an observation or an analysis around, wow, you know, during COVID, for example, as you say, people in Brazil are watching a, a Korean drama. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that telling you about the future of global culture? Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. It gives me such hope. It gives me such hope, you know, because my, my desire is that we break some of the stereotypes that we think exist about us, right? We say things like, oh, adults can't change their minds because it's already formed and, you know, their opinions were formed when they were in their formative years and therefore, you know, they're not going to change now. And I don't believe that. You know, I think we can all learn something about each other and that it would open our eyes. And so mm-hmm. my real hope is that this is not just about <laughs> Gen Z and, and mm-hmm. younger, you know, that this is about us. This is about people in their, you know, mid forties and fifties and sixties having a change of heart because they are seeing stories about other people mm-hmm. and are interested and hopefully, even if they don't get there in person, that we can transport them. So it's really a hopeful feeling that I have. So you have the human resonance piece, 
-hmm. Then you have the neurological piece, which is, or the biological, like the plasticity of the brain, which we all know about. Yeah. Plus some vulnerability. I mean that, but see how magical that is. Mm. Like even when you're saying that, I'm just like, wow, like that is, it's so dope. I don't Mm. even have another word. (laughs) That's why I get so excited about doing this. You know, and, and the thing is that it's it's actually, like I said, I think I felt like that in every job. You know, I've been I've been very blessed in that way that I have chosen joy mm. in every job, you know, so that it's like I feel the magic in every product that I've ever worked on. And that's such a great thing to be able to say, because I can see your passion around changing people's mind through content. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a powerful lever. Right. So what, what are the kind of, what, what does success for you look like? Like, when do you feel like, fuck yes, I nailed this particular thing. Because I love personal stories so much. That's what actually gets me going more so than any numbers, you know, cause we get those reports, right? How many people watch the particular title or, you know, who watched it all the way through or who cut out, like we know all that stuff, but like the other night, somebody I don't know, tagged me on Instagram because they were watching Zero. Oh. That, that feels like success. Mm. You know? And I was just like, wow, look at that. Like somebody who would have never, ever probably experienced this is watching it and tagged me in it. And then I wanted to be like, what'd you think? <laughs> you know? But I want to be a creep. So I was just like, let me not say that. But still, you know, just very, I'm very excited by that. And I love, I love seeing, you know, the fingerprints of my work in the world. You know, when people talk about an experience or they talk about a particular film. I have a, I have a good example. So a couple of weeks ago, we did this project with NASA because there was the second season of a show called Luis Miguel premiering. It's Mexican. Luis Miguel is a real person, but, you know, we fictionalized the story as well. Okay. And he is called El Sol in Mexico, as in like the sun, but also could be the sun, as in the planet. And, and NASA had a project going up called El Sol about the actual star, the sun. And so we combined those two things as an El Sol with Luis Miguel and El Sol as the sun and had people converge to watch, you know, this amazing, beautiful, scientific unveiling of new data around the sun and also (laughs) the season premiere of Luis Miguel. I just was just like, oh my God, this is the most amazing thing, you know, to bring the science of it all together. Like how wonderful. You know, and to see people talking about NASA that way, ah, great. I love it. I love it. That's success. That feels like success. And it's so creative too. Like I, I, I don't even, I can't even think of how that ideation process worked of bringing those things oh, together. So I'm telling you, the, that Mexican team, man, they came up with it. It was fantastic. I was so excited. I was like, wow, this is great. So I hear things like that. And, you know, we, we all sort of brainstorm and make the idea sharper and bigger. And what about this, you know, type of idea and do that. You know, it's like, so it's, it's very, it's very collaborative that way. But that's what, that's what success feels like to me when I can when I can see the fingerprints of like what we're doing in the world and it's not about for me anyway personally obviously I want to see Netflix succeed in a numbers standpoint but for me it's it's really seeing the imprint and 
you know, I'm hopeful that one day, you know, in the future, far, far from now, you know, when maybe somebody else is telling their story about a show or something that changed their mind. Oh, Gwyneth, I'm telling you that day, girl, nobody will be able to stop my tears. Like I, I swear, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> That's so amazing. You sort of have a, I don't know if it's a nickname or a first name. So a lot of people call you badass bows. It's yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is I, which I love so much because so rarely um, does somebody have kind of a nickname that makes you like position yourself for the entrance of somebody, and it's just <laughs> so good. Yeah. So, what does that mean? Like, how you're a badass? How do you define badass? And how did you get the name? Ah, well, I named myself. Okay. Yeah, I, I say it all the time. I'm like, my, na my dad named me Bozma after his mother, and I named myself Badass. And I did it because I feel that way, goddammit. You know, I feel, I feel badass. I, I feel like, you know, the, the journey I've been on, mm -hmm. the rooms I've been in, the way that I carry myself, you know, just the attitude that I possess about everything and anything is badass. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't see anything in the world and think that like, that's not for me or I can't do it or because, and it's not, it's not out of like some sort of hollow confidence. You know, this is hard fought. Yeah, yeah. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of really, really low times and dark days and I survived that shit, Gwyneth, I survived it. Mm -hmm. You know, so hell yeah, I'm badass. Like what, 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 I've seen the very bottom of things and I'm, I'm still sitting here. It's incredible. Like, I'm amazed about, about myself. <laughs> I'm amazed at myself. And so, hell yeah, I'm badass. <laughs> what was the lowest point? Oh, man, there have been, been too many, probably. You know, a lot of them, actually. You know, in my personal life, as we've talked about, like, you know, holding my dead daughter was pretty fucking low. Holding my dead husband was pretty damn low. You know, being at a table when I'm supposed to be the most senior marketer in the room and being questioned about my opinion and somebody else speaking over me feels pretty fucking low. Mm -hmm. You know, being fired or I left, I mean, we could debate it from a job that I thought I was killing. Pretty low. You know, mm -hmm. there's, there's been a lot of them. There's been a lot of them. So... The badass part comes from resilience. Yes. Yes. From fearlessness, from self-belief. Yes. 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 All of that. It's mostly the self-belief. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know, because like I said, I've I've seen it. You know, I've I've looked at it. I've looked at death right in the face. You know, and I have felt the depths of the depression that comes with it, the grief that steals your breath, you know, like you, like you literally cannot breathe. I have felt it and I have taken another breath after that, you know, so, so I, I know what I'm made of. Like I, I know the grit that I have, you know, and, and even now sitting in this glorious seat at Netflix, it's like, I climbed my way here. Mm -hmm. Nobody gave it to me, mm -mm. you know, by my own power. 
I made it here. You know, so, so I just, I, so for me to feel like there's something that I can't do or like look at a situation and be like, woe is me. I don't, I literally do not have that feeling because I know that I can do it. I know it. I've already tried it and I have fallen down. I have gotten back up. I have been knocked down. I have gotten back up. <laughs> Other people have pushed me down and I've gotten back up. So there's, there's nothing that I can't do. I will always get up. Always. So yes, I rely on myself and I know it. That's why I'm badass. And how can other women cultivate this beautiful thing that you're talking about, this mm. relationship you have with yourself? Yeah. Oh gosh. That's, that's actually, that is really at the center of it. It is about the relationship with self. Mm. That is what I wish that more of us understood and trusted you know, that like the value of us as individual people, like the incredible contribution that we have, and you don't have to have a big job. You don't have to have like some fancy house. You don't have to have like some name that everybody knows. You don't have to have those things, but the fact that we are important in and of ourselves. You know, I saw this beautiful meme actually the other day. Like, imagine I found beauty in a meme, okay? <laughs> And it was so gorgeous because it like it just knocked me back. You know, it was it was this? I'm I'm gonna get the words wrong, but it was basically math about ancestry, right? It was like it took two people to get you here, okay? One generation back, that's four people. Another generation, that's sixteen people. By the time it gets like twelve generations, we're like at four thousand people. Wow. Okay, it took four thousand people. For you, singular individual, to be right here. How could you not think you're like the most amazing person? Like how? How could you not think you're so amazing? It took 4,000 people for you to be here. That alone, on that fact alone, we should feel amazing and important. Mm -hmm. That fact alone. And then aside from that, I have thought about like the science of it all too, you know, with like biology. I, I now have this saying, I, I put it on my desk, just also as a constant reminder to myself, which is that, you know, when one molecule in a matter changes, the whole matter changes. Mm -hmm. And so if we considered that each of us is a molecule in the matter, in a space, in an environment, in a relationship, in a business, in a community, in a school, fill in the blank, you are the molecule, the whole thing changes because you exist in that space. How powerful is that? Like we, we, should, we should have trust and belief that our existence is that powerful and that meaningful. And that is what I wish I could impart on other people to just know the value of their singular existence. You know, and that your story also matters. Again, it's not like you don't have to have moved from Ghana to Colorado Springs and have the stories of like sitting, feeling weird, you know, in order to like have a, an important experience to put into the work, you know, because I have seen it firsthand also where, you know, in my business, in career, it just felt like you know, the experience of a black woman is not important, that we should all get to like some middle ground, mass market. And mass market usually means white and male, not me. But I have put myself in my work 
because my experience is valuable. I completely reject the notion that like my viewpoint or my experience doesn't belong in the work. I will look at anything and be like, focus group of one, I don't like it. <laughs> Get rid of it, you know? <laughs> because like, because my, my point of view matters. It really does. I wholly believe that. And so that is what I want us all to understand, mm-hmm. which is that our singular, individual, unique presence actually matters. Mm. And how does that show up for you as a leader? At mm. Because I believe that of everyone. You know, I really do. I, I believe that of all of us. I think I'm, I'm pretty damn special. But I believe everybody is special. And I realize how corny that sounds, but I really actually believe that. And so when I'm in a meeting with anyone, I want to actually know your opinion. I want, I want to know it. You know, and I see people. And it, no one is disposable to me. You know, individual stories really, really matter. I'd love to know, you know, what, what somebody's experience is, where they come from. How are they raised? Because it influences the way they work. And it's such a beautiful thing. I find it so confounding when leaders are, you know, uninterested in having their people's experiences in the work, because how boring is that? You know, it's like, how wonderful to have people's contribution based on what they think, you know? And, And I do approach the work that way, where I'm like, you know, I, and that's why I also sometimes reject the data, right? Cause I'm like, what do you think about this? Do you like it? Did this thing make you laugh? Did it make you cry? Do you feel anything? That's really the question. You know, it's not about whether or not, you know, we think it's gonna work for the masses. Ah, screw the masses. Who are the masses? We don't even know who the masses are. The masses don't have names. <laughs> True. And, and the, the power of the question, especially as a leader, you know, the power in asking for opinions, asking for collaboration, which I think is, a, a trait that we see in female leaders in a mm-hmm. way that, you know, we don't see as much yeah. in, in male yeah. leaders. I think no, women no. are by nature more collaborative. And uh, more nurturing yes, of, yeah. of difference and opinions, you know, that, that, you know, you see somebody being quiet in a corner and you're just like, what do you think? You know, not to put them on the spot, but to actually draw them out, you yeah. know, because maybe somebody was over talking them or, you know, you just know that people have something to say. I just, I just love it. You know, it's like, I, I love that. That's probably my favorite part about meetings, you know, where like collaborative sessions or brainstorms or any type of work situation where I get to, you know, and now, now that I am in the seat where I get to call on people, you know, that's the best. I'm like, hey, so I haven't heard from you. What do you think about this thing? And people are usually like, oh my God, really? What do you, what, you want to know what I think? I'm like, yes, I want to know what you think. What, what's your opinion on this thing? Do you like it? You don't like it? You have a different idea? You want to do something else? You hate it? What is it? That's awesome. <laughs> this incredible self-love that you have cultivated, this, mm. like you, I can feel your essence all the way through to like the, you know, boundaries of your skin and then past it, Mm -hmm. the resilience, the capacity to heal. How have you brought that into looking forward? Like, have you fallen in love again? I have not. I have not. And it's something I'm working on. You know, I'm so glad that you asked that. 
because I think sometimes we think, you know, through all of that power and excitement and uh, the, I don't know, the vuv that we have, <laughs> all of that, uh, that maybe I'm invincible and that's not true. <laughs> you know, there's always, there's always something to work on. And that, that is, that is for me. You know, I, I recently had an epiphany. My husband passed away in December of 2013. And so last year was seven years. Mm-hmm. And I do believe in energy and signs. I got signs all the time. I get signs all the time. So I was looking into it. I was like, oh, seven is the number of completion, you know, like mm-hmm. it's a thing. <laughs> so I was like, ooh, maybe this is something. This is something. This got to be something. It's got to be a sign. Okay. The end of something. And at the same time, I have been wearing the cloak of widowhood, Mm. which didn't seem so heavy before. Mm. But somehow I was approaching that date in December. That shit felt so heavy. Mm. You know, I just, like, I literally felt like I physically needed to take it off. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just tired of carrying it and letting it be like the thing the thing that I always lead with, you know? So I decided I was gonna I was gonna take it off. And I was like, okay, you know what? I think, I think I'm I think I'm done with mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's not disrespectful to his memory or to our relationship or to our daughter. It, 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 it's, it's, it's nothing. I, I might have thought that before, but it really is not. And so it felt like I was coming out of some cocoon. <laughs> probably self-imposed. So now I'm on that journey, you know, to open and be fearless in that way too. That maybe, maybe, maybe God will bless me again. Ooh, what a gift that would be. What a gift you are. What an honor to get to know you and talk to you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to my chat with Bozema St. John. She's such a gift and an incredible spirit. I'm so glad I finally got the chance to sit down with her. Thanks for tuning in. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. I hope you'll listen, follow, rate, and review all of our episodes, which are available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts.